1: Cheese and pickle. All of television history is contained in the box of delights. Hello, I'm Julia Rayside. Each episode, my guest chooses a favourite TV memory to talk about. This is part two of my chat with Joel Morris, my husband, about my Christmas choice, Alan Partridge, You know me, knowing you Go back and listen to part one if you haven't already.
0: And he builds up because the stakes for him are huge. Yeah. This is his last throw of the dice. And he reveals he spent, or oh, they've spent £300,000... So much money. ...on this thing, which no-one is going to enjoy. No. Not even the people making it are no. enjoying it. They genuinely say you could spend this money on something
1: better. Like you said, the crucial thing is this is not a Christmas special where he's just trying to impress. It's always about... You have to keep your eye on the ball all the time about what do your characters want? And this succeeds, I think, so shatteringly well and so brilliantly because what he wants is another series and although it's it's only said once maybe the whole show hangs on whether or not he's done enough to impress this guy in his head not in yeah. the real world to get his second series and the stakes go from you know his career to a dialysis machine <laughs> But the stakes just get higher and higher and higher, and until actual horrors unfold. Like yeah. it's all internalized, and then suddenly, that's the brilliant thing about Partridge. Usually, everything's under the skin. Everything's a bit uncomfortable. Everything's itchy and like an allergic reaction. Until at some point, usually the skin, like it's like a chest burst, or like yeah. something just comes out, and it's so uncomfortable, but it's brilliant
0: these shows I think uniquely in the sort of the partridge Canon mm. 25 30 years of partridge
1: I can't believe it's been that long
0: usually you're quite close in on him and you're seeing him somewhere private like a radio studio where he's talking to Tim key between takes yeah the amazing thing about these is he's on air
1: he's on display they
0: did it again with this time but there were still breaks little moments where you could rest between the shots
1: where Lynn would pop in or something yeah and yeah, yeah, was sort of like respite yeah where yeah. you could
0: see him intimately the 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 thing that it's really interesting about knowing me knowing you and knowing me knowing you is he's constantly on display. So the pressure's yeah, even the worse. <laughs> oh god,
1: it's like it's like a tension headache, but brilliant though. But you're right, there's no there's no moments where you get to step away and just see him decompress or punch a wall or just do something. Well you but see the, him punch things. I mean, I'm um, sadly you do. And like I mean that honestly, a stroke of genius. I don't think I'd ever seen We'll get to that moment, but I don't think I'd ever seen anyone do that with a character though with that character dynamic before and just and get away with it basically. But so we'll we'll start we'll start at the beginning because like we might as well just do this probably or not at all. The way it starts, obviously he's Aber obsessed. He starts on the roof of TV Centre, and there's a, what a solitary choir boy, a tiny solitary blonde choir boy, <laughs> big eyed boy, just stood in front of him. And while he sort of does the warm up for the show, the choir boy just his little reedy voice just ha <laughs> While he's talking, it's the first. It's the first hint that he's just got this completely wrong, and it's going to be forced and effortful and weird, and make everyone go. Ugh. It just sets it up so brilliantly. It's I think. creepy
0: even before we dissociate the idea of, of a, a middle-aged celebrity with a young child <laughs> right? instead of being dangerous. It still feels there's something ineffably creepy about the setup.
1: Anyway, it's just horrible. It's so. I and mean, he's standing behind him, and he doesn't have to do anything. There's no insinuation. It's just. I, d- I don't like it. It does remind
0: <laughs> me... I'm Watching it watching now reminded me of how uncomfortable I felt watching a lot of these TV specials as yes. a kid going, the question I was always asking is, who's this for? Yeah. Am I meant to be enjoying Jimmy Savile? Am I meant to be enjoying Russell <laughs> Harty? Am I meant to be enjoying this? I'm not really... With the exceptions of Eric and Ernie and things where it was really good fun, a lot of the time you're watching it going
1: who who is enjoying this that's why when i don't know anton deck come along yeah. or or some kind of universal panacea for all of our that's why they are tv gold dust yeah. because no one really knows why they're brilliant yes. apart from but everyone likes them and that is the golden egg that everyone is chasing it's just you you, you want something that everyone goes we agree With And that's a rare commodity.
0: I suppose that's what's agonising about Partridge. If he was was a parody of someone who was in a band, there'd be a question of his talent. But the great thing about presenters, about Philip Schofield or Richard Whiteley, is it's not really clear what it is they're doing. Not at all. So for Alan, the idea that he can't do it or that he can do it how would he know if he was any good it at this? It kills him.
1: <laughs> but he looks around. He see, Yeah, exactly. He sees people being well-paid and popular and, and and they have big cars and lovely houses, which is all he really cares about. And he doesn't understand how... Maybe he does understand how it's not him, it's them, but he will never stop fighting for that because he thinks anyone can do that. Yeah. That's what he really believes. Or anyone can do that. But also he's
0: he's got a certain set of skills, well, in a Liam Neeson kind off. of way. As in... But he's not got quite enough. The agony of him is he's not quite good enough to be in the top leagues. Which I think is what I always felt whenever I saw a clip of Russell Harty, going, oh, you're not Parkinson, are you? You're you're from roughly the right area. Yeah. You've got a television programme. He didn't quite
1: have the tools to, to ace that job. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But more than
0: that, it's me, Stanley, three stunning hostesses, some Santa chat and quality poultry i.e. knowing me knowing all with Alan Partridge. I bid
1: ye good tidings. Now. But, um, so he, he announces that the mock-up of his house that's been built specially... Ha- does he even then say how much it cost? I think he maybe insinuates it was <laughs> it's top gonna, dollar. It'll be expensive. Loads. And he tells uh, that any potential burglars not to think about burgling his house just because he was in the mock-up <laughs> tonight, like they did in his last show six times. <laughs> so every time he was on live TV, someone burgled his house. I thought that was an absolutely delightful uh, detail.
0: There, there's the hidden story behind this is of production meetings yeah. in which they probably would have tried to book I don't know, like a major celebrity, and yeah. they would have pulled out at the last minute and Alan would have gone... My mate from the Rover dealership will Completely. come and do that. He's
1: agreed in principle. If we, you know, everyone's a second or third back. choice. Yes, exactly, it. exactly. And no point is this like the original A-list cast they had planned <laughs> a for the show. Pound show. <laughs> it's so brilliant. He's always trying to draw attention to. Where the money has been spent. Yes. So to, to the point where the, the hostesses aren't handing out mince pies, it's boaster biscuits. I had forgotten that the existence of boasters. Are they Delightful. still even. Have they died now? I think
0: we've lost the boaster biscuits. I think biscuit. they've gone. Like the dodo. But
1: for a time they did seem kind of luxurious. <laughs> like the,
0: they were like the fuse bar of biscuits. <laughs> Everyone liked fuse bars. They shouldn't have got rid of the where fuse bar. Where did they
1: go? Yeah,
0: I don't know. They were great though. It's oh, very God. sad.
1: Then Kevin Eldon arrives at this terrifying. But he's like a boiling pot with a lid on, just something in his eyes says, I'm doing this because I need the money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a whiff of Tootsie about (laughs) him. There's not a sense that he's like a drag act who's enjoying it. He's just a bloke dressed as a woman.
1: I think he's a circuit comedian. You could Honestly, everyone has a backstory and you could write it by looking in their eyes. It's so clever. The performances are absolutely brilliant. You look at him and you go, you were a circuit comedian, you never quite made it. And it kills you that the only way you could really get attention was by dressing as a woman. Alan, you've caught me with my hand wrapped round an enormous chopper. Oh, pardon! <laughs> <laughs> She's outrageous. Well, one of the
0: keys to, to this show, I think, as, as a format, mm-hmm. is that every time it threw across... The format's quite simple. It's Alan meets XYZ, mm-hmm. and they will show something up in him. Yeah. But each one of those characters, because they're done by lovely character comedians, oh, God, they've been yeah. interrogated, and you as a viewer can work out who they are. Their completely. backstory is in their because eyes. you know
1: they know. You, arguably, um, David Schneider's Tony Hayes, he is there just to play a sort of high-status straight man. Yeah. T- because Alan has to be scared of someone. He's very scared of this man because he can take away his future. In a, in Bishop a, Brennan has turned completely. up. Completely. And at no point would he ever kick him up the arse no. because he's <laughs> a very important person. He gets himself completely tied in knots with the whole Jewish thing. He says, <laughs> at one, literally at one point, he says, Jews are good. <laughs> Then he gets even more tied in knots because Mary the Christian comes in and talks about portrayals of masturbation on TV. She it's
0: a brilliant moment way he looks to the... Tony Hayes ends up interviewing the Christian bell ring in yes. the background. And Alan turns to camera and conspiratorially goes, how, how did this happen? How did this he, happen? He
1: loses control of his
0: chat show within
1: seconds of starting. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, so we move on to the next guest, Liz and Gordon Heron, And it's <laughs> Dune McKeegan and Patrick Marber. They're a lovely golfing couple... Patrick Marber is in a wheelchair and then within seconds is like, you know, if you want to see the Buddy Holly story in the West End tonight, you can't because we've got the ramps. Like, <laughs> And he's really annoyed that they're not grateful for getting the disability ramps into their studio for Gordon. Then he talks to Gordon Heron and says that he's like a Dalek. No, no, not a Dalek. You're more like Davros. <laughs> <laughs> which is somehow apparently better than a Dalek. And then he introduces the concept of so the, the big finish, the big visual motif at the end, which is absolutely perfect if there's a giant christmas cracker it's wheeled on and inside the christmas cracker is a dialysis machine they're going to donate to a local hospital um all has to happen is that some sea cadets have to come on take hold of rope either end of the cracker and just pull until the big finish and it kind of there's some pyrotechnics and the cracker is pulled all the time the temperature's just raising ever so slightly in a very uncomfortable way in really nice. the way that it does at Christmas. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's,
0: it's really nice watching one of these things where the awkwardness and the, the discomfort with it is part of the uh, comedy, yeah. rather than the natural feeling of you slumped on the sofa watching an unentertaining show. Yeah. The, the lovely idea that they've, they've built this uh, climax in by saying that if they break the world record for the biggest cracker pull. That's it. Then it will pay off with Disaster's exactly. machine. Exactly,
1: yes. They're, so it's a lovely setup. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, And I think one of the things that people liked about these shows is they had, even though they're a bunch of sketches, they all had a lovely little plot arc. Oh, no, they
1: bothered to Something's make you care. Something's at stake yes.
0: and something could go wrong at the end of it. And with a sketch show, you're not supposed to have that, but they bothered to put that in there to make it feel like Alan was under more pressure.
1: Yes, exactly. And as the pressure increases, Fanny is a brilliant device, actually, because she is there almost to constantly take the temperature. And the less performatively pleasant he is with Fanny, the more raw and kind of uncomfortable and snippy he is with her, the more you know that shit's about to go badly wrong. And at one point he just turns to her slash him and says, what does your mother think of you? (laughs) And it's like, oh, no, he's gone there. Okay oh no and i think that's the moment there's there's a there's a dramatically there's a switch that flicks where this just goes down into the sewers and it's there it's just absolutely brilliant
0: Fanny sort of there's a meat thermometer to see whether (laughs) alan's done yet
1: she no she really is she really is and the wig comes off and he's like who do you want do you want mike or do you want fanny and he's so angry he's like you've done this so eat it eat it all! And it's so (laughs) thrilling, it's so thrilling. And Kevin Eldon's eyes are pure death, like I will end you. (laughs) And Alan's reaction is perfect. Steve Coogan's acting in that moment is like he is absolutely fucking terrified.
0: Right, this is Peter, right? Now what do you want? Do you want Peter or do you want Fanny? (laughs) Uh, Fanny, I want Fanny. (laughs)
1: It's the best Christmas in Walford ever. It's just all gone badly. There's an EastEnders vibe to it, so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And then we very quickly escalate to Gordon Heron, who's been taking a lot of flack from Alan and sort of starts catcalling him and uh, uh, joining in. Like you said, everyone's against Alan, so everyone's sort of piling in at this point. And Alan has his hand inside a turkey. Fistful of stuffing, and Fanny's been saying further, oh further, oh further, <laughs> just you know, really upsetting him. And I think Gordon says, "What do you do for an encore, Alan? Shagger Robin." And he just with the with the turkey on his fist like a boxing glove, swings around and knocks Gordon sideways <laughs> out of his wits. And it's, it's like it's, it, it, weirdly, it's like the most hallelujah moment of anything you've ever seen. Because although you think Alan's an idiot and a cretin, and he deserves to be humiliated like this. Something had to give. Like the tension's unbearable.
0: You've always got split loyalties with Alan. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things True. about it. He's, he's obviously he is one of the great uh, sitcom monsters, great yeah. comedy monsters, but the people he's up against are all so horrible. You can understand why he'd find it irritating
1: these people on his show. Yes, you can see what gets his goat about them in the first place, completely. I don't know, even Gordon and Liz, they're relentlessly sunny and when they clearly aren't that happy and... He doesn't like hypocrisy, Alan. And even though he's sort of not the warrior that should be fighting for truth, (laughs) really, for any of us, you sort of admire the fact he doesn't like people lying.
0: Well, actually, there's, there's there's something in common with Basil Fawlty. And yeah. there's a feeling that his show would be great if the guests weren't there.
1: Yes, oh God, he'd love it. As in, he doesn't If you could all
0: just go. <laughs> he's got he's in a hospitality situation a bit. He's got his yeah. guests in there. And if they would all go, his show would run perfectly. Like exactly. Forty Towers would work beautifully without the guests. Yeah. There's a thing in, where they've got in common where they're both frustrated that other people are in the way of their dream of how this would work. Completely.
1: And the ending of the episode is so, so he punches Gordon, the man in the wheelchair, <laughs> with a cold turkey, with the, the just absolutely appalling. And then he turns around. Tony Hayes is about to intervene and says, "Do you want some?" And then punches Tony Hayes. Uh, Who? And then, so then he's staggering, bloody nose, sort of looking in disbelief at the man who's invited him on this chat show. And effectively, just the the killer punch is actually, "You will. Ne- I will make sure you will never work in broadcasting again." And suddenly, Alan's like, "That's it. There's no stakes anymore." I fucked it. I fucked it. And it's almost like a glorious moment of freedom where he just goes, I will never work in broadcasting again. It's almost like he its like he's been told he's going to die. Yeah. I've, Oh my God! I'm free. <laughs> and so, <laughs> the then he, on my back. so then he just hits Tony Hayes again, like double hard, <laughs> knocks him to the ground. And then Mick Hucknall, who's been waiting for the whole show, God bless him. This is a pretty, uh, you know, it's quite a lot of humility for a big, yeah. a big rock star like him to show. He comes in to sing "Ding Dong Merrily on High" as Alan just has a full-on meltdown. So the cracker has been pulled, his face on the cracker, the set has been burst into flames. Save the, the di- face. The dialysis <laughs> machine is like smoke damage has to go back to the manufacturers. (laughs) Everything is as bad as it could possibly be. And then Mick Hucknall sings Ding Dong Merrily on High (laughs) and actually does some nice acting because at one point Alan does kind of stagger back across his field of vision just once. And what Mick Hucknall's face does, I was genuinely really impressed by because he's trying to be professional. Yeah. But he does kind of Register, I, is this Concern. okay? I just, I, I, sh- right? I should keep going. I, yeah, no, no, I'm gonna, no, I've commit. I've started, I've no regrets. I'll keep he's going a, He's a really good sport. It's on actually on brilliant. this,
0: something occurred to me because we were watching this on DVD, and it, it never occurred oh. to me that they would have had to get permission not only of Mick Huckman to do this, who'd have to course. be a good sport, and obviously shows you how much love there was for Alan as a, as a, as a character. Oh, so much, but they would have had to get Bjorn and Benny's permission for all the ABBA music, because otherwise it wouldn't be on the DVD. Oh, my
1: God, no. You
0: can't use huge pop stars music on a comedy show. That's It's ABBA. often replaced yeah. for DVD. Yeah. So ABBA have clearly said, yep, yeah,
1: you can do this. Oh, if you were ABBA, you'd say yes, But how you? delightful that they've oh. gone, they've
0: sort of, they're in on the joke, and they said, yes, Amazing. we'd love it.
1: <laughs> so good. Now, at this point, I'd normally say, thank you very much, goodbye. Well, can I say that, then? Yeah, but also Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. Thank you, you too. Thank you very much.
1: Would you like to do another question? Thank you for having me. Yes, please. Should we do another question from the box of delights? Oh, go on, then. Can I steal your box of delights? What did I put the box? I've got the box here. Okay, all
0: right, then. Okay, let's do this. Would you like to
1: open the box of delights? Nice Sound effect. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Can I have a badge?
0: (laughs) You can have one of your badges (laughs) that I've made for you. These are my badges. You can have one of my badges.
1: I'm going to take a couple just in case. Oh. (laughs) Jessica Fletcher or Miss Marple?
0: Oh that's a that's a serious
1: I think it's Battle a serious question, but it is straightforward for me. Anyway. What's the answer? It's Miss Marple.
0: Obviously. It's Joan Hickson. Now this is to do it's with the,
1: Specifically Joan Hickson. This is to do
0: with the theme music, isn't it?
1: Well, it's it is a bit to do I won't lie, it's a bit to do with that. So I think I've probably said many times before in this podcast and probably other podcasts as well, because I can't shut up about it. That my um favourite thing to do as a kid, um to soothe myself was to you know, get a recorder or later on an oboe um, and, and and sometimes a saxophone too a woodwind instrument of some sort and just play along to my favourite TV theme tunes beautiful. and when I heard the Miss Marple theme tune and the idea at school was mooted that maybe I could learn an instrument because I'd quite like the recorder as a small child I needed to know what instrument the Miss Marple theme tune was played on because it was so beautiful like achingly beautiful and I found out it was an oboe so I was like I'm going to play that Stupid idea, I shouldn't have done that. It's re- Oboe's really hard. Right. You were, <laughs> so hard. For a
0: minute there, that was your seeing the Sex Pistols at the Free Trade Hall and going, this is basically, I'm, I can now be in a yeah. band. Yeah. Your thing was the Miss Marple theme tune. You went, I want to do that. And it turned out it wasn't just three chords, it was really hard. So,
1: do you know what you're exactly right? I don't know what you just said, but yes.
0: Life's like that. <laughs> it turns out it's much harder than you what? thought.
1: But I did play the oboe. I stuck at it for a couple of years at least. Probably l- largely in part because the lessons I had were with a teacher called Mr Ryder at the local posh boys' school. Right. Which meant I got to do my lessons looking out the window when they were playing rugby.
0: And Jessica Fletcher never offered that. <laughs>
1: do you know what? She didn't. And, she, you know, she lived in an improbable place where everyone kept dying. At least Miss Marple kept travelling to other villages where there happened to have been a murder. Like Cabot Co was just like losing one member of the population a week with no obvious speculation about why everyone <laughs> kept dying in violent ways all the time. Um, I just didn't believe it, Joel. I didn't believe it. I think the connection of these places, there's one person who's always there. <laughs> ah. I think they're
0: all basically Dexter.
1: Mm-hmm. That would so actually cool. be a good twist for the end of Miss Marple, for the season <laughs> finale. She was making
0: the crimes herself. It was all me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for doing a Christmas, my wife.
1: Happy Christmas, Julia. husband.
0: Happy Christmas, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find links to the YouTube clips from today's episode on our Twitter feed at Box Delights Pod. Come and say hello. Bye.